All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and I'm on cloud nine because I'm a wash in awards. Still, they are just pummeling us with awards <laughs> this month. I think everyone has been confused about why the Emmys were directly after the Golden Globes. And you would be forgiven for wondering that because... Um, you know, it's not like many people mentioned the strike last night um, or why the Emmys yes. got pushed back. Truly just uh, the John Oliver team. Right. Yes. And also, um, I don't know that I prefer that the Emmys be an actual part of the uh, gauntlet of awards that we get at this time of year. But in a way, it's always been kind of weird that they were in September. So I'm just embracing this break from normalcy for a second, even if the same people from television that won awards last week won them this week. And it's sort of a no-win scenario for those people because, like, how charming can you be while, you know, having to act humble and excited to be there and surprised while winning the same award, not only at the Golden Globes last week, but also at the Critics' Choice yesterday and then or, yeah. uh, then the Emmys the day after. I would say, and we'll get into this when we talk about the full ceremony this week, but Man, you know, one, the stylists are running out of looks, okay? Some, some people were <laughs> yeah. looking a goddamn mess at the Emmys, and it's when you just got event after event after event, that is like, that is truly like packing for a destination wedding or like a destination birthday or something. You're By the second, third day, you're, re- you're re-wearing things. You're sort of like, this thing I brought didn't fit. Like, what are we doing here? And I would say that also... If we're going to move the Emmys, I like the fact that they can all sort of be in the same season. But if we're going to move the Emmys, we got to get out of the old requirement of where it was tied to the traditional network TV schedule. Because friends were watching it with me and were talking about, oh, why isn't 
fellow travelers or something nominated. And someone was like, wasn't this show on in 2022 or something? And I'm like, right. Fellow travelers will be nominated next year. Yes. Which means we're going to see Matt Bomber and Jonathan Bailey at the Emmys next time for a show that we've already sort of forgotten about. Someone else brought this up, particularly in terms of the bear. Um, the fact that Eben Moss Backrack won um, for the bear in supporting last night, but they pointed out the fact that every person voting for the Emmys definitely thought that they were voting for season two of this show because he has a big sort of spotlight episode in season two that makes him a more important character and he's really on your mind this season. But if you were voting only off of having watched season one, you wouldn't be handing the Emmy to him necessarily, especially when there were bigger, splashier people also in that category, you know? No, there are lots of TV shows nominated where it's like, I mean, that was on so long ago, I can't believe we're still having a conversation about them. But <laughs> anyway, um, even like The White Lotus, I was like, I'm thinking back, I'm like, who did I really love in that show? And everybody was good. All 900 nominees. Yeah, <laughs> It was like they got a bus to... Bring them on. I was happy to see them again, but then I was also like, Jennifer Coolidge, haven't we already celebrated this performance already? Like, it's it's time to move on from season two. We're about to, we're, we're awash in the season three casting already. Uh, so I yes. truly sort of was happy. And I feel like it was very funny when she said thank you to all the evil gays. Um, that was good. But that was good. But knowing how these gays are trying to kill me um, permeated culture and would not go away. Much like a high gay or, well, yes, I feel like <laughs> we're due to months of gay men with nothing originally funny to say. Just, say, just quoting, thank you to all the evil gays anytime you're anywhere in a setting of more than three gay men. Right, and they all have now like Etsy pillows with that stitched in already and stuff. Like it's already overdone <laughs> and boring, whatever. But speaking of new TV that is actually happening right now, I did over the oh. weekend watch three episodes of fucking Traders. Now this is where the I belong. I want to be. A, I want to be with scheming people who are. I don't <laughs> know. Well, it's not that they're scheming. It's that they are. It's worked out for them in the past on other shows like Survivor and Big Brother, and now they just get to call themselves master manipulators, whether or not mm -hmm. they actually are. We just like to believe it. It's a little bit of a Santa Claus thing, and. <laughs> That said, I'm almost concerned about this cast because they've expired so many major names in master manipulator entertainment on this season. You've got Dan Giesling from Big Brother. You've got Parvati from Survivor. You've got Sandra from Survivor. You've got Nefarious Housewives. You know, just like they've hit many major names already. In addition to Alan Cumming, who is bringing capital Z zeal once again to this hosting role. <laughs> I absolutely fucking love the trader so much that I watched all three when they dropped on Thursday on Peacock. And then I watched them again this weekend with my friends who had not seen it yet. And I can't stop talking about the traders with people. I can't stop texting people. I love that it's sort of, I love that it abandoned the regular people this season because last year I felt like they didn't really jump in with sort of gusto um, with giving you good TV. And I feel like now that everyone is on the same playing field, they've been on reality TV before, everyone is sort of game for being a bit um, crazier. But I will also say that 
we're seeing a bit that that's to the detriment of Dan Giesling, who hasn't been on TV in like a decade since right. Big Brother when he won, and then the season where he should have won against Ian Terry. But right. he's sort of doing a laid back, like trying to stay out of the shadows version, which works on Big Brother, and it does not work on a show like this. And we're seeing how... um his sort of method of playing the game is backfiring a bit. And it is fun to see now in season two of the show and seeing other um, sort of additions of it too in the UK and Australia that people are able to start forming strategies for how to play the game. Because the first season was very much, if you were a faithful, who are the good people trying to weed out the trailers, uh, sort of like you're playing the game Mafia, were at sort of this extreme disadvantage, I felt like, because you didn't really know the rules of the game. You'd never played it before. But now having seen season one, I feel like people are coming in and bringing sort of an A game to season two with trying to weed out who the traitor is. Yeah, so if you haven't seen the traitors, as Ira just said, it's a lot like Mafia or Werewolf, where a couple of people are are selected by the producers to be um, traders and like they are supposed to be sussed out by the townspeople contestants and they don't have much to go off really it, honestly I love the casting on this show but I honestly think the traders as a concept is like the maestro movie of reality competitions which is the talent is there the working is there the look is fabulous. It looks incredibly expensive. But the fact of the matter is they don't have much to do in terms of fooling the other players. I think it takes a bunch of episodes where you get to a point where they have anything even to work off of in terms of sussing out who the villains are. So at first, like, there was a big hubbub online where Trishel of, of course, the real world Las Vegas fame, got Peppermint, Drag Race legend, eliminated because she said, you reacted strangely to something I said, and she took that to mean uh, that Peppermint is a traitor and couldn't keep the facade together. And then people online sort of said about Trishel, well, this feels transphobic or targeted or whatever. This show is about targeting, and they have nothing to go on. Literally, tar uh, you know, and also Peppermint would be a good traitor. She's so immediately likable. You know, you would not think, oh, well, this person, you know, this person's utterly guileless. How could they be a traitor? So I found that, like, they have to eliminate somebody and they have nothing to go off of. And we, as the audience, it's hard to know who to root for or against in that case. Like, who has the harder time manipulating who? It's hard to say. Mm -hmm. I would just say that two things are true here. One, you do have to eliminate somebody and Peppermint, after that moment, didn't really defend herself well. No, But I will right. also say that Trishel, uh, from what we've seen on... The challenge and her conflicts with Anissa and other women of color that I would say that she has very big, isn't your seat in the back of the bus energy. <laughs> okay, that is specific, yes. <laughs> so, also the fact that she anticipated, by the way, that she was extra to Peppermint. Trishel messaged Peppermint, showed by the screenshot that she put online, several hours before the episodes actually dropped on the day of them dropping. So how much did you really care? Yeah, that's interesting. Or maybe she just realized, I mean, maybe she got the episodes early and watched them and then realized how it came across. I have no idea. It appears they are at least giving the traders interesting, strange things to do now. Like, oh, now you have to find this uh, in episode three, there's like a poison chalice where they have to give it mm -hmm. to somebody and then slip it under. Like they have ways to kill the other players that isn't just they have their secret caucus and randomly kill off people. That's another problem with this show. Like the people who get eliminated, it's not like the mole where 
Um, oh, you did the worst on the mole quiz, so you're eliminated by it's you. These people can just literally eliminate the person who is playing the game the best. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is interesting in a way because it also puts in strategy because you have to play the game well, but you also have to play the game in a sort of flashy, showy sort of way. Because if you're Marcus Jordan, who spoiler alert got killed by the traders that's because you were specifically talking to a trader and pinpointing to them um that um you sort of knew who they were right but marcus was really only shown saying that to dan if you're a person who sort of is bigger at the round table i feel like expressing an opinion that you think dan is a trader like mj or shockingly larsa pippen um, who is usually the dumbest person on the Real Housewives of Miami, uh, is somehow razor sharp here. Um, if you're showy like that, and it's very obvious that you are targeting a specific person, it is harder than to just kill you because you're playing the game very well, because then that will throw suspicion on you as a trader, you know? Right, right. Um, the, I will say, I feel like I'm missing a conversation among the contestants on this show where they rightly decide, logically decide, wouldn't the producers pick a known master manipulator to be one of the traders? It feels like they aren't thinking, maybe they just aren't that familiar with all of these shows, but it's like, you wouldn't have this season of television unless Dan Giesling, someone like him, is one of the traders, and he is one of the traders this season. Um, and they recruit Parvati, of course, one of the legendary Survivor players. There's really like a core group of five or six people here who are known for their dastardly reality competition ways. And I don't feel like anybody is onto the fact that this season of TV would not exist unless one or more of those people was in the conspiracies, uh, was a traitor. Absolutely. And I will also say that I do like that they added in this season the opportunity to grab shields and safety within the competitions because largely I felt like in the first season, the competitions were the weakest part of yeah. the show. I still think there needs to be something else added to the competitions that sort of mixes it up. And links it to the gameplay. Yes. It literally just, they make money at, in these giant games where they have to run across fields and dig up things in meadows and stuff. And then that's completely unrelated to who gets eliminated or what the traders do or what they have to do. And so it's like, it, there's there's no conversation between elements of this TV show. Mm -hmm. Even something where the mall happens and there are people taking money from the pot, etc. You know, there, there needs to be a little something else going on within the challenges. And I don't yeah. know if that involves two teams or something, but the challenges still remain sort of the less interesting part of the show because a trader is always going to be doing well in the challenge because they want to make the same money that the faithfuls do. Right. So everybody's just on one team. Yeah, there's not even really they're battling against each other or they have reason to distrust each other. So yeah, even though the fun of the game sort of goes away there, even though Alan Cumming is, of course, dressed like a gay child playing dress up. That's what he looks like to me. You know, like <laughs> a, a, he has a cape and a saber for some reason, and he's running around a field. It's really funny. But I will say the show's just fun and camp. And now I think they actually have the contestants living in that castle, unlike last year <laughs> where they were not. Yes. And so there's just nothing like those shots of people, you know, someone curled up with a teddy bear or um, Larsa reading this book um, every time they're going to bed. And I also just want to say 
yes, you would expect like a Dan Giesling or a Parvati or Sandra to be a traitor. And it should have obvious that they probably would have picked a housewife, right? But I just want to lastly say that Phaedra Parks is running away with this show. She is yeah. such a delicious traitor. She's so fun and relishing in it. And because she has the built-in housewife alliance, she is so good at going undetected, but also so devious in how she's playing the game. When she was consoling Larsa after Marcus was taken out, when she was wiping tears away from Deontay's face because the stress of the game was getting to him, she is really, really fun in this game, and I love watching her. No, it's nice to see when somebody is surprisingly suited to be um, devious. You know, I mean, not not <laughs> that she isn't on that show, of course, like, you know, hilariously sinister, as she sometimes is. But on this show, she is much less detectable, one. And two, she's smoother at the game than Dan Giesling, who, is, who literally spent all of his time on Big Brother telling us how good he was at this kind of thing. So it is really <laughs> cool to see. <laughs> Uh, and Varys, one last spoiler, because this happened in the last, the third episode, um, very smooth at protecting people that she wants to. That chalice moment with Parvati, where she said, oh, you're not about to kill Shireen. <laughs> yes, yes. She eyed Parvati. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that is smooth. And also just smooth in the fact that episode three, Dan and Parvati are discussing what to do with the chalice. And then you get a confessional for Phaedra where she's sort of talking about whoever they kill, she will find out about it because her MO of playing the game is, I don't spend time talking to or hanging out with the people who are the traitors until we get to that room. Right. Whereas Dan and Parvati are sort of conspiring together a lot, but they're used to a show where you have to do that if you're in an alliance with someone. Right, right. Oh no, these are literally the most seasoned at this activity, people in existence. There's nobody else who has done this more than Dan and Barbity. Well, this week we have got the Emmys, of course, uh, another awards season episode from us. And we also have Mean Girls, the musical, the movie, which is out. So we'll get into that excellent joke about Mean Girls from Tina and Amy at the Emmys last night. Yes. Oh my God. They were maybe my favorite presenters the whole night. I mean, as expected, they're wonderful with us. It should have been longer. I was expecting a whole weekend update from them, which would have been really fun. But we also have the delightful Mayor Hawthorne here to talk about his new album for all time. So uh, we've got a pretty good episode for you coming up next. There's a lot to keep track of in a high-stakes election year. Voting deadlines, volunteerships, emergency therapy, also maybe your job or whatever. That's why Crooked and Vote Save America created a comprehensive 2024 planner. It's filled with important dates, motivation, and some fun extras to keep you focused, sane, and organized. For the record, we tried to include a few Xanax, but the lawyers told us no. Start this high-stakes year off right. Head to crooked.com slash store to get your planner now, and also maybe some sleek, black, break-and-enterish fits because I plan on stealing some elections this year. Dominion Girl, we love you. (laughs) 
Keep It continues our award show coverage with the Emmys since the awards just took place. The season of AO <laughs> has reached Zenith, and we all know I'm talking about AO and Debris. Uh, and also Kieran Culkin as well. His rise has sort of reached its zenith now, particularly for him, I guess, because succession is over now. But AO is sort of um, risen up as the star within the bear. And I sort of see a lot more awards in her future for this show alone. You know, I think it's only in season two. So it's, it seems like one of those shows that the Emmy's going to latch on to. And then we'll keep rewarding it for years to come. And it's helpful that it's not just her as the lead getting a lot of awards. Or it's not just Jeremy Allen White. You know, there, there's, a, there's a full cast of people that it seems like the Academy wants to celebrate and probably will over the years. Well, let's just be clear. Giving a speech at an award show is its own art. I mean, truly, it takes preparation. <laughs> it takes planning. It takes a sense of humor and awareness about yourself and an awareness of the audience. And even if you don't have Anthony Anderson's mom yelling at you about the time you have, efficiency is key to making it work well. And Ayo Debri is just all of those things. She clearly respects comedy because it's about, she has like, quick joke, quick joke, quick joke, sincere thanks, sincere thanks, sincere thanks, and I'm out. There's never a lingering for even a split second when she gives an, uh, a speech. And of course, we just saw her do that at the Critics' Choice Awards and now the Emmys. Weirdly, last night, I don't know that I have ever seen an award show run to time like that before. It started at 5, and it was done by like 7.57. Yeah. You know, like not a second over. And a big part of this, as I just said, was Anthony Anderson's mom, who is a big part of his comedy. They are always working together. She works with him on uh, his reboot of To Tell the Truth. She's always on that show. She interrupted Jennifer Coolidge's speech um, and told her to speed it up, which when it happened, I have to tell you, I got a little antsy, you know, because Jennifer Coolidge. I did too. I did. Maybe she takes <laughs> an extra second to give the speech, but the lines are there. Like Jennifer Coolidge came, comes to play when she comes to an award show. So I felt a little upset on Jennifer's behalf. But at the same time, I do believe she traumatized everybody into playing by the show's rules. She did. And maybe that's why everybody got their speech down to time. So I kind of am thankful ultimately, even though I think Jennifer Coolidge had three or four more awesome jokes in her by the time her expected win for uh, White Lotus uh, was over. Absolutely. But I will say we've heard them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, 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 I'm ready to move on from season two of The White Lotus. And I'm ready for Jennifer Coolidge to be in anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what we can expect from her coming up. I'm excited. Which, by the way, did we ever even just discuss White Lotus season three casting? Because there are a couple of exciting names. Carrie Coon. Uh, no, no. Here's the thing with Carrie Coon. Put her on any TV show. I mean, the, she just, she belongs. She's like Edie Falco or something. She's like, she belongs wherever you put her but like Parker Posey <laughs> who was so amazing in so many movies we, we talked about Party Girl recently on this show mm -hmm. I need her to be amazing I need it to be the best performance that's ever been on The White Lotus I'm, and I'm worried we're going to get anything less than that and I, I just need this for her and the reason I'm thinking about her I needed a new audiobook after I finished the you know 48 hour Barbara Streisand I'll say masterpiece but it's mm -hmm. really just I'm going to call it a zoo it's not a book it's a zoo Parker Posey's book is the one I'm listening to next. And so I'm tapped into her journey as a true Crispin Glover level weirdo. 
Has Parker done television? She did do Lost in Space, but you're right. She's largely the indie movie. Person. Okay, yeah. The, my Lost in Space has Joey Tribbiani in it, okay? <laughs> she also was in Grace of Monaco, a movie that has been lost to time. Oh, uh, wasn't Nicole in that? It is Nicole and Milo Ventimiglia and mm. the idea of Monaco. That is what is happening in that movie. Four things I love. But you put them together? <laughs> yeah, not much going on, weirdly. <laughs> Nicole Kidman, once upon a time, was routinely um, compared to Grace Kelly. And I want to say it's because of her hair in The Others. But otherwise, mm. no, not nothing. I mean, like, they, they have nothing in common. Pleasing voices? I don't, I have, they have nothing in common to me. I don't know why we thought we could do that. Was the Mika song the um, theme for the movie? That would have been inspired, actually. Actually, it wouldn't have been inspired. <laughs> it would have been like in Maestro when they play It's the End of the World as We Know It so we can hear the words Leonard Bernstein. Bradley, what was going on? No. <laughs> Every time I find someone who says that they love Maestro, I'm always very confused. But I will also say that it doesn't inspire... I was angry last week, but that's just because we're supposed to be angry on this show. It's called Keep It, you know? Uh, and it really doesn't inspire <laughs> in the that much ire in me. You know, I'm just sort of like, huh, okay. It was very much ado about nothing is what I would say in that movie, yeah. Which, by the way, when I went to see Anyone But You, I discovered that it was based loosely on Much Ado About Nothing. I did not realize that until I started watching it, and I was like, these two are being awfully Beatrice and Benedict. And then, <laughs> when all the Shakespeare quotes kept popping up in random places throughout the movie, I said, you know what, Will Gluck? I've had enough. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. I should have put it together. Because, by the way, the title totally sucks. And I guess it's now a, maybe a little bit of a throwback to that title. Anyone But You is just so... One and a half star VOD rom-com from 2007. I just can't believe it's the title. Yeah, it's it's also, it's it was an enjoyable movie, I will say. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, 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 did, I did enjoy it, uh, mostly because of Glenn Powell's body. Uh, yeah, no, we talked about this before. She, I felt like, needed to do the Aniston part of a rom-com a little bit better. And also, by the way, it's a movie that takes place in Australia where Rachel Griffiths is a character, but she's not playing Australian. Guys, we just, what is with that Ouroboros? What happened there? <laughs> She's also blonde. And so it took me quite some time to figure yeah, out who it was. Yeah, interesting choice. Right. No, I did not know on first glance either. Anyway, back to the Emmys. Um, you know what I found, unfortunately, a little bit depressing about this Emmys, even though it was a swiftly run Emmys? Mm -hmm. They had all these quote-unquote reunions of old TV shows, except every time two or more people were missing. So it just wasn't a reunion at all. They did cheers. So who's on stage? Mr. Ted Danson, of course. Mr. George Rett, uh, John Ratzenberger, Rhea Perlman, Kelsey Grammer, who is on Frasier still, by the way. But who was missing in this cheersery? B.B. Newirth, mm. Shelley Long. Mm -hmm. That's not a reunion if I'm not seeing Shelley Long. What happened to women? That's what I'm saying, precisely. Um, and I, Kirstie Alley, of course, can't be there. I don't remember the reasons why. But... If you're going to do a reunion, it just has to be full. Like they did Allie McBeal and like well, she's half dead, of those Lewis. people. Where's, I know that I know. Where's, where's <laughs> Lucy Liu? Where's Vonda Shepard? Peter McNichol, yeah. lovely to see him. But it just wasn't a full reunion half the time. I was also wondering who cooked up the reunions. Listen, I love the production of this Emmys. It was the first time there was an all black uh, executive producer team. 
um, mm. handling the show. But uh, I do want to know what was happening behind the scenes with the picking of the tributes. And I guess it's who's available, you know, too, and what tributes you're going to do, et cetera. But um, the, yeah, the mishmash of like jumping from different show to show was fun at times. Um, but sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. But that's always just going to be the nature of comedy and things like that. You know, I felt like... Um, Charlie Poof singing I'll Be There For You was lovely. I always love seeing Charlie mm-hmm. sing. But the the absence of the Friends cast made me think maybe they are going to do something to honor Matthew later. But then also they just did the Friends reunion too with him yeah. there. And it's probably still raw. So they don't want to do anything as well. Um, the Grey's Anatomy one was the weirdest. Yes. Because again, specific people are missing. T.R. Knight. Right. Where is Sandra O? Oh? Yeah, where was um, a cut to Isaiah um, putting anthrax into letters in his bunker um, in the woods? (laughs) It was very nice to see Catherine Heigl, though, who is glamour, okay? Catherine Heigl, I love that bitch. And it was nice seeing her on stage with these women again. Yes. Put her in red. Oh, show business. Yes, we missed that. That was a night reunion that was really nice to see, if only be- knowing the history of all of those people and seeing them back on stage together. Uh, that sort of tugged at my heartstrings. And I fucking loved the Martin reunion. You know? Oh, please. Uh, to Gina Arnold, who keep it alum. Uh, utter treat. The comics timing is still like pop, pop, pop. Tisha Campbell, fabulous. Even though I believe she did sue Martin Lawrence in the last season of that show. So I was happy to see them reuniting too. Yeah, they um, had an unfortunate um, lawsuit situation going on. Um, But it was nice to see them all. And Thomas Ford passed away, but it was nice to see a photo of him on the table. And Carl Payne was always so funny on Martin, was the funniest on the stage to me, by the way. And the, why didn't we get an Emmy bit? It can always be a little sad, especially when it's just black people doing it, because like we know why you didn't get an Emmy, uh, <laughs> because mm-hmm. you weren't a white show and you were on Fox. But I will say, Carl Payne making the Emmy joke very funny paid off more when the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia cast riffed on it. And I actually loved seeing them united too and it was very funny them talking about we've been on the air for 15 years we've never even been here before and then you have Danny DeVito there where he's like oh well I got some Emmys <laughs> <laughs> also it's just cool hearing like I have I was backstage at the Emmys doing a Kimmel's bit with Guillermo where he interviews all the winners sitting back to back with them and I was backstage when the It's Always Sunny cast was on TV and when we were watching a monitor and Tachina Arnold passed by and she was looking at the TV and Danny DeVito mentions taxi and she just screamed at the TV, yes! Like, because she loves taxi. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, there's something about the Emmys where it is nice just to remember, oh, remember those old shows we still all remember and love? That sounds so basic, but it's like, under what other circumstances would taxi be brought up on TV even? Like, you don't even really hear Danny DeVito talking about it much anymore. So it's nice to see a program like this, not just honoring... um, 
the fact that there are all these old TV shows that you you may or may not be seeing in, on streaming anymore. But also, like, we still remember them. We're quoting those shows and stuff. So I, I was just pleased to see that. I that really love that aspect of the show, too, because I feel like the Oscars are really fun when they celebrate cinema and celebrate everything that's been in the theaters um, that year, regardless of whether or not it's nominated for something, right? And I think that this Emmys was a good step forward in that direction because there's a lot of fucking TV shows out there. And if you're going to have a ceremony where the bear and succession sweep everything and it's boring for everyone else to even be there uh, as you're seeing this happen, um, and there's sort of like no suspense or upsets that might necessarily happen in the Globes or the Oscars. It's less likely that there are going to be upsets at the fucking Emmys. Uh, it's nice to see things celebrated. And I think we could go even a step further. Like have people from other shows that are on the air and celebrate those genre shows and other things, uh, you know, and let people really feel the love of television because. Not just Martin and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I just constantly think about shows like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, which people loved so much when it was on the air. And critics constantly championed that show. And it only ever got, uh, I believe, one writing nomination. And that was for the episode Hush in season four. Um, You think about shows like that, which aren't the prestige shows now or weren't the shows that were primetime network dramas on the big networks like ABC, NBC, um, CBS, those were always historically ignored. And I think that Amy should do a lot to celebrate TV that I feel like everyone watches because wouldn't the ratings go up if, you know, like Riverdale or something isn't going to be nominated. Pretty Little Liars isn't going to be nominated. But shouldn't the cast be there? And shouldn't we see clips and things from the shows that people actually do watch at home? Or in like older shows that have like gained legs over time. Yeah, you know, things exactly. like that. I will say there there is something about the idea of quote unquote TV that everyone watches that I think has made the Emmy Awards rollout less interesting because I feel like Mm -hmm. they're still kind of clinging to a monoculture vibe. And so the rare TV show that everyone does watch, the Emmys sort of feel obligated to acknowledge or award right away. Like The Bear is a rare show where it kind of got around to everybody, you know? And so it's like, like Schitt's Creek, like that year where Schitt's Creek won everything. And I feel like that feeling makes voters say, oh, this is necessarily the best if it's, you know, reached that large an audience and they feel awkward ignoring it. But at the same time, to give TV shows something in every category just feels bizarre to me. I don't know. It's just like, I don't think any one TV show is that much better than any other TV show. Voting down ballot at the Emmys is very weird. Yeah, right. Um it's it's just like my, uh, my old maxim. I don't trust anybody who stands one thing. You know, uh, there's something wrong with you if you think one thing is necessarily the only great thing in existence, or so much greater than everything else. And I tweeted this, but I felt like, and we've talked about this before too. The voting for something every year too. It is not to take away from things, winning stuff multiple times, but also when Modern Family or you used to have The Amazing Race winning all the time or you would have... um, Veep or whatever, yeah. Yes, all the time. It is... There are so many TV shows and there are so many people doing amazing fucking work on TV. And it's just... It's so weird that the Emmys in particular, as opposed to film awards, um, 
really just sort of the voters dig in and get their comfort thing and sort of celebrate it all the time. And at least you always have people constantly doing something different in film. So that's why you get um, different people getting nominated sometimes and different wins, even if it does end up sort of being the same people winning stuff all the time, like a Meryl Streep or something. It's it feels a little different and it feels like there's more variety, you know, but that's because actors have to work with different directors and writers and production teams in every movie, you know, and it's just sort right. of, the show did it one year. It's like, they're not doing the exact same thing every year. And sometimes you can't even tell me that the people are still watching that certain shows three years later. It's just, well, it was good this year. So it's always going to be good that year, you know? No, it, well, it's an interesting voter conundrum because it's like, you do want to vote for the best thing. And so if something is the best one year, it's likely that the quality won't utterly diminish the next season. Like you may want to honor it again. But I think there's also this other like devil angel on your shoulder saying like, but it's boring to give the same people the same awards, especially if new things come along. And, you know, if there's a new TV show, it's responding to a new feeling in culture. So it's like there's more relevance necessarily to that thing, right? Or in theory. So um, I, I do find the the battle that voters have with uh, as Emmy voters interesting. But at the same time, I just feel like we're moving to a place where because there's such a variety of television and so many people are voting that in a communal way, they are obligated to pick the thing that the most people have seen and agree is at least a little bit good. You know, it's it's less, they're less likely to pick a riskier thing, you know, because they're clinging to the the power of monoculture, which as we know is dwindling. It's why Taylor Swift is still like the Grammy queen, right? She's like the only monoculture thing. So you have to necessarily give her awards. If she gets best album this year, there will be a riot. For me. I, uh, right. <laughs> one man riot. I'd like to see it. And also, obviously, the bear got into the public consciousness because Jeremy Allen White became sort of a hot star, you know, and mm-hmm. the Calvin Klein-ness of it all. And um, Io Debris um, is also become a star. It's been so interesting to see both of them rising at the same time. Also, it is Io Debris. I keep saying Ayo because of the Nicki Minaj of it all uh but you know in case there's anybody in the youtube comments with something to say i'll meet you in gag city <laughs> where you're in, imprisoned uh you can't leave you're the only one there yeah <laughs> one of my favorite speeches of the night uh, which was very heartfelt and also funny joke joke because it came from a very funny person Nisi nash Oh, my God. Who doesn't want to see her win awards? She had a daytime Emmy before. This is her first primetime Emmy. But when she said, I'd like to thank me, we haven't seen mm-hmm. behavior like that since, I believe, Little Richard. Uh, and that is <laughs> that is a legacy. Yeah. Uh, and it just felt so self-affirming, too, and very, and very relatable. And th- when she was in the press room afterwards, um, she expounded on it and just said that when you are an actor working for so long and um, you're constantly told no or you're not right for this part, et cetera, you're not um, getting any recognition from your peers or your industry, only you know how many times you've cried at night, how many times you've wondered, you know, how are you going to pay your bills, like if you're going to get another part. And so she did want to thank herself, and I love that. Also, you can only support people who come from Reno 911 because there's something about that whole cast where they constantly brought it, and that show was never... 
Like it's it, it's weird to put that show in a prestige space because it was so fucking silly, but you knew everybody was operating on like a master level on that show too. So for anybody to emerge, like Wendy McClendon Covey, I'll always stand because it began there, you know. Um, uh, Nisi and Ash winning awards is just why we tune into something like the Emmys. It's like, yes, immediately when you're on my television, I know you are in control and I am in safe hands. And she won for, by the way, that fucking Dahmer thing, which I, I would think that would be the last thing Nisi Nash would be in, and yet she was fabulous. Claus was also amazing. Yeah. Getting On was also amazing. Mm -hmm. I'll never know how good she was in Dahmer because I don't ever plan on watching it, but Nisi Nash is <laughs> fantastic all around, and I, we could pretend that that award was for Claus. And <laughs> also, the standing ovation for Christina Applegate, another fucking star. Oh. Oh, what a great way to open the show. What a great way to open the show. And also, she's very funny, too. She, like, kept it clippy, moved it along. It was emotional. And then we were right into the ceremony. It was very well-timed um, and uh, articulated. Yeah. Um, shout out to 9-11, too, by the way. That is the craziest part of the show. <laughs> they were talking about the history of TV and the, the great moments we've had all over the years. And, you know, usually that means the I Love Lucy Vitamina Vegemin episode. That means, you know, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. kissing Archie Bunker, etc. And then they dropped in 9-11 as if it was like some programming miracle we all got to witness. Very, very strange choice. Uncomfortable. Deeply a mistake. Mm. Les Moonves did 9-11, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but first, 9-11. Yes. That's a Julie Chen Moonves joke right there for you. I am so obsessed with her podcast, by the way, her Jesus podcast, and how after each season of Big Brother, <laughs> she interviews someone in the cast and asks them how important God is to them, and they either freeze up or start talking about God I remember, so I forget who it was, but someone from the CZ basically said, yeah, God's not really part of my life. And that interview wrapped up so quickly. <laughs> also, it's a creepy <laughs> question. It's like, are you the mom from Carrie? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> or a character in Saved or something. I read Carrie recently, by the way. Very good book. And it, and it also gets into a bit of the backstory a bit more, too, that I don't think I picked up from the De Palma movie. A bit, yeah. but you know, when Carrie has the tampons and everything thrown at her, there's um passages where the teachers are talking about her, um, the gym teacher's talking to the principal, and you get a Bill Bat story about how Carrie White's mom used to be at the school and how she was crazy, and they're like, Oh, uh, well, now we get it, you know. So great book, by the way. And rest in peace, Piper Laurie, one of the best ever to do it. Yeah. Me recommending Carrie in the year of our Lord 2024. But uh, <laughs> it's a good book. So all right. When we're back, we will be joined by Mayor Hawthorne to discuss his new album, For All Time. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed 
to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge Prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with GLAAD, so they are by the people, for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. (laughs) Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover, the shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah. Or broke the fourth wall. (laughs) You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others, blank. I connect to my community by. I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say, whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include, my chosen family is the best at and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com store to shop. Our guest today we would describe as a true musical powerhouse. You know him as a master of soul and from groups like Tuxedo and Jaded Incorporated. He's worked with artists all across the musical spectrum, and his most recent album, For All Time, is a testimony to his next chapter. Welcome to Keep It, the Grammy-nominated, always cool, Mayor Hawthorne. Damn, man, you guys just made me sound so much cooler than I really am. That's great. (laughs) I love it. uh, Thank you. Long time listener, first time caller. I'm always blown away when people have listened to the show before because I'm just like, no, go find something else to do. We'll we'll be we'll be blabbing no matter what happens. Go go away. Go do your cool art. Yeah. Nah, my wife put me onto you guys. And oh, well, shout thank, out my thank you wife. to her. And uh, all right. But I I listened to you guys and I was like, oh my god, these guys are detail 
detail people like me, I'm a detail man. So you guys just are obsessed with the minutia of things, which is exactly how I am. I feel like if you're a musician, like you can just endlessly go down a rabbit hole of obsession, 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 getting things right. Like production never, ever ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're, I'm listening to albums that came out five years ago and I'm like, oh man, I, I, I wish I could go back and redo this part of this thing. I could do that so much better. <laughs> you just gotta, once it's out in the world, you just gotta chalk it up to this, it's not yours anymore. So what do you think about, um, I guess, maybe things that you obsess over, like the details? On this show, we're constantly talking about, you know, our pop culture things that are in our brains and we can't get out of them. Like, what's in your brain all the time? Like, what are the details that you think that you stress over? You guys are unbelievable. Like, drop the uh, the brain supplement routine. Like, are you guys doing Ginkgo Balboa <laughs> capsules and shit? How, how the fuck do you guys remember it? It's a curse, actually. It has nothing to do with uh, vitamins. We did not choose this. It is simply the way we are. Are you guys doing crossword puzzles every morning? It's funny that you say that. I actually just started to become a crossword person. I It annoys me that there are some ticks to the crossword that I have to learn, like certain like words that come up again and again. And I'm like, oh, right. We have to keep like Esai Morales. I have to keep using his first name because it doesn't belong anywhere else in the world. E-S-A-I only comes up in his name. But um, yeah. yeah, that's becoming a part of my routine. Me and my wife do them every morning. It's like part of my thing. It's Man, it's how I keep my trying to get like you guys, man trying to get my brain sharp again. <laughs> I feel like I forgot more things than I've ever learned. No, I, well, I feel like th- at some point I got into crosswords again too because I feel like the thing, I was I was trying to do this thing where um, you're supposed to do those or other, bra- I downloaded this brain teaser app, which I never use. And then it always reminds me that it's time to do a new teaser before bed uh, and I ignore right. it. Um, but um, I'm trying to do that thing where I'm like, yeah, those are supposed to help you keep your brain sharp as you get older. But then I think about the fact that I can remember episodes of like The Practice from 1998. So maybe I don't need yeah. it particularly. So, I mean, the way that you guys can remember like who choreographed this scene in a Dorothy Dandridge thing from 1961, like yeah. I... That's the way I am about records, about m- music, about mm-hmm. vinyl. Like I can tell you who who played the bass or who did, you know, which which model of Yamaha synthesizer was used in this solo on the Cars, you know, debut in 1979. It's like I know all that shit. <laughs> this is great. It's that that is also my curse. Now, I want to say, generally speaking, you are categorized as neo-soul, which I feel like is a term that has secretly a hundred different definitions. How do you feel about the label neo-soul? I mean, it's just the same, same way I feel about any label, pretty much. I've never met a musician ever that has been like, yeah, I'm a neo-soul artist. Like, or, or <laughs> even a, I'm a alternative rock artist. Like, no musician has ever gave a shit about a genre of music, like our, a category. It's like, we're just, we're just making music, you know? And it's only, it's only the labels and the, and like so many of those categories were invented by iTunes and the record stores because they need a way to organize everything, but we don't care what, what 
you know, I, I could give a shit. <laughs> That's interesting to hear. I guess you so sort of the like the micro um, labeling that has happened because of the internet. But you, as a person who's sort of a you know uh, a purveyor, um, a connoisseur of vitals and older records, you know, how would you say that um, things have just sort of changed from the ability to stroll through the record store um, and picking up vinyls? I would assume that everything used to be um labeled more just by name to be honest or maybe they weren't i didn't become a vital store person until much after um you know people were buying them i was a sam goody person you know getting going through the yeah, CD yeah. Band, and then i discovered vinyls i feel like sometime after college when i was living in new york um and it became cool in the mid 2000s to buy um vinyls man i definitely was Shopping at Sam Goody, buying twenty dollars CDs in the mall, but uh, that's exactly how much they cost. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they were so crazy. The markup on CDs was it was the greatest lick era for for the music business. It was crazy. They were just minting money at that point before before the CD burner came out, and you could you could do dub the shit for free. <laughs> but um. I mean, yeah, the categories is all about, you know, record stores and and yeah, how how they how they need to, a way to or a system for organizing everything, but I will say, I mean, and I'm like I am a vinyl guy for sure. Like I'm a, such a vinyl nerd and I love the like tangibility of vinyl and you know, the the sonic quality of it, the crackle of it, it's like, it just feels so much more real than an MP3. But that being said, like, I listen to Spotify all the time. So it's like, it, I'm I'm definitely, you, you can't just like exclusively exist in a world of vinyl records. It's just not realistic. Do you have vinyls like displayed at your home in any way? That's, I, f- I feel like if I became a serious vinyl collector, it would be about showing them off in some way or framing them? Do you have music that I you have, just play? I have uh, my vinyl library. I, I So we just moved to Pasadena and I built like a brand new vinyl room, like a record room at the at the new house. It's, it's pretty insane. I'll send you guys a photo of it. It's, it's definitely nuts. It's where I do my like wine and vinyl live stream show. But it's okay. it's out of control, you guys. Like it's truly out of control. There's just thousands and thousands and thousands of records. It's- I feel like I am constantly going through um trying to sometimes when I move I get rid of one, or I'm constantly having friends ask me like, what do you listen to your vinyl records on? And I'm sort of like, what, what do you recommend for people if they have them? And just sort of one that's not going to Target and buying a vinyl record. Um, player or something, you know, something that's sort of like an intro for people to listen to something, but it also sounds good. For like a record player? Yeah, like what did you recommend that's not just like, I'm ordering one off of Amazon and then it comes in and, um, you know, this um, Vintage Shaka vinyl sounds like shit on it or something or scratching up the record, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go, don't buy the Crosley. That's going to just chew your records to pieces. Mm. Go, I mean, the best move I would say is to go on Craigslist or, you know, whatever and get a, get a techniques turntable from 
the eighties and it, those things will last forever. It sounds way better than anything they make now. There's a new one from, um, a company called audio technica. That's pretty mm-hmm. good that you can buy at like best buy or whatever, but no, I'm listening to your new album, uh, for all time. And it's clear, it's clear that you relish in a throwback vibe. Like I keep thinking of the mid seventies when I'm listening to this, how important is it for you to incorporate sounds of your into music? I just feel like most, for example, popular music right now, like I can't think of anybody who has a truly retro vibe who is like constantly, we're being constantly bombarded with at CVS when I walk in, you know, pink doesn't sound like she belongs to 1975, for example. Nah. And like my records definitely do have so many of those vintage elements and that, you know, it's come just comes from my love of vintage soul music. But at the same time, like I never and never ever want people to listen to my records and like be confused about whether or not it's new or not. Like I want you to know when you, you know, from the second you put it on, oh yeah, this is a new record, but it, but it has that, that timeless feel to it. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I even discovered um, your music. I think it was probably circa The Walk. Um, and that was um, mm-hmm. sort of like the the song that pulled me in. But then I will also say that um, in the end of the year in my Spotify um, list, um, Henny and Ginger Ale is always in the top 100 each year um, on every Man, year in rap list. Uh, I actually started ordering that in the bar uh, after hearing no that way. song, too. Yes, I have. Uh, and it's it's a pretty good drink. So, uh, I mean, I like it's Tennessee It's pretty damn general. good, right? Yeah. It's not bad. Man, all my ignorant Detroit friends got me hooked on Hennessy from an early age. And it's once you get it in your system, man, you can't let it go. I truly have a bottle that's on my bar cart in... Um, my apartment because I have two particular friends who love it. Um, one of them's from Detroit too. And uh, every time that they come over, uh, it's always restocked with them because they're the ones who drink it the most. <laughs> Man, I swear, I swear they're like, they're like sprinkling it in the water supply in Detroit. There's something about it, man. We just love it over there. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about other artists that you've worked with and not particularly just working with. Um, people that you've, um, you know, sort of been on tour with. Um, Lewis brought up the fact that um, there aren't any sort of modern artists right now who, you know, sort of have that big throwback vibe that you'd be hearing at a CVS, which is interesting because you opened for Amy Winehouse on her last tour. And I would say that was the last time where a very popular artist who was making music that was in the top 40 was being played everywhere. And she had that whole very throwback vibe too. I guess sort of what was it like working with Amy during that tour? And what do you sort of think that um, we've missed in music um, since she isn't making it anymore? Like, was there a direction we were going in that was fun that you feel sort of like there's a hole there now because we don't have Amy right now? She was a just an unbelievably special, gifted human, for sure. I mean, when she, I mean, she obviously had her, like, very sad, tr- you know, off-mic issues. But 
when she was on stage, the moments that she was on stage singing, it was like revelatory. It was crazy. I still, to this day, have never seen anything like it. I mean, the it was just so unbelievably captivating. And there was a real like power to it that is just so rare. Um, but I think a huge part of what made her so relatable for everyone was that it wasn't just like the the music the sound and the feeling of it was very retro but what she was talking about in the songs felt new still it was like if it was like oh yeah I'm you know I can I can actually relate to that what you're talking about and it didn't feel like your parents music yeah there's a quality about her that I think there's just a quality about you and her where if you're incorporating all these old styles of music, what it means is you're reverent and you've been paying attention. And so there's just something right. I naturally trust about that vibe. Like, oh, here's somebody who is not out here just to say I'm new and important, but I am at a particular point on a timeline and I know what came before me. And I just think that makes you seem, I don't know, mature, I guess is the word. <laughs> I'll take it, man. Yeah. I mean, I do my homework for sure. It's like, I'm a, I, I really care about this stuff, man. I think it comes through in the music. I hope it comes through in the music. And, you know, one of the really cool things about, like, working with artists like Doja Cat and, you know, Jordan Ward and and Blue to Tiger and Max and all these, like, cool, very cool up-and-coming artists is that I can kind of, like, be the guy in the room that knows all those references. I can, you know, I work with young artists all the time who are going for like, you know, let's say they want to, they're going for like, I want a new Jack swing type of feel for this song, but they've never, they don't know Bobby Brown. <laughs> and I can be like, yo, he did it like perfect as good as you can do it, you know? And I can kind of be the the guy in the room that like knows all the references. It's been really, really fun. And it's been super inspiring for me, like just to get to work with all these like younger artists because and it, it, and it influences me in my own music. Like it keeps me young. Referencing, um, you know, people like um, Bobby Brown, you know, or, um, you know, other faves of yours like Steely Dan, you know, like you have um, all these musical artists in your brain. And me as a person who listens to so much music, you know, um, sometimes I'm always like, what exactly do I want to listen to to get into the mood? But then I always have the Star Wars that I always return to. I mean, who would you say amongst your vast um, knowledge and love of music are the artists or particular albums that you always find yourself returning to and that you feel like maybe if you introduce them to someone, it would be like a perfect encapsulation of who you are as a person? Steely Dan is a big one, man. I always say if you don't like Steely Dan, I probably don't like you <laughs> as a person. <laughs> it's very divisive, <laughs> though. It's very, very divisive. Like people, some people really can't stand it. And I think I don't know what it is about it, man. But um, the Delphonics is something mm. that I always, always that that type of sound is something that I always, always go back to. Um, what else, man? There's so Prince. Prince is another one that's like kind can be kind of divisive, I think. But um, maybe less so now that he's gone. But 
uh, I, there's something about Prince. I mean, and the, the fact that he wrote all the music, played all the instruments himself, you know, he played the bass, he played the drums, he played the keys, like every single part of, of those songs is him. And there's something like, you know, I obviously don't play the instruments anywhere near as good as him, but I, I am, I'm doing a similar thing with my own music where I play most of the instruments on my records and I'm writing, I'm writing the song. So I've always had kind of like a connection to Prince in that way. Yeah, he is sort of like if Mozart could jump into the splits. I mean, just it's a very unusual, <laughs> one of a kind skill set he brought to the universe. Um, there is nobody like him, man. And then, you know, you they asked, uh, I remember they famously asked, um, like, w- uh, when Jeff Beck died, I think they asked Eric Clapton, like, who's, like, they asked him, how does it feel to be the greatest guitarist left alive? And he said, I don't know, go ask Prince. <laughs> and then he said 20 other anti-vax things, unfortunately. So, and then he uh, said some other yeah. really offensive shit, like yeah. super <laughs> offensive shit after that. Yeah. I have to applaud you on this album because, uh, uh, you know, a big feeling in it is it's about this, uh, you're married, and uh, the feeling of having a sort of eternal love. And I just have to say that in the abstract... That can be a boring subject. Like, oh, I'm married and it's going well. You know, not a lot of conflict there to go into. But, you know, every once in a while we get a song like, for example, Drunk in Love, which, you know, does something with the idea of being married and really enjoying it. Is it at all daunting to approach this subject and come up with compelling material based on it? Man, so daunting. It's It was something I was really nervous about because... It, I was like, oh no, you know what? Now I'm, I'm married and my, I have, I'm like happy. And that, no, what, what do I, what do I write about? Like that's not interesting. But I, then I realized that like all of the, all of my favorite songs that I listen to that I love are are love songs for the most part, and they don't have to be boring. Like it's you can do it in a way that's not boring, and it's like the the last thing that I ever want to be is boring. It's the worst thing you can be is like middle of the road. Like I'd never want anybody to listen to one of my records and be like, yeah, it was cool. It's all right. Like I either want you to love it or be like, yo, this is not for me. (laughs) So (laughs) I think we, I figured out a way to make it not boring. I would say that you have, and I would actually say that Lewis sort of asked like the exact last question that I was going to ask, just because having listened to your progression of albums, um, you could sort of, you could see mentally, emotionally where you are with the concept of love. Um, and it seems that you've gone on this beautiful roller coaster to where you're in um, this sort of great, um, beautiful place with it. And I think that um, this is really a great album and one of my favorites of yours. Man, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I really wanted to be like I. I'm in my Barry White era for sure. Like, I just want to be the guy that you listen to in the bedroom because <laughs> I just feel like we don't have that right now. Like, who do you guys listen? Who do you listen to when you're in the bedroom? Like, um, the weekend. <laughs> I was gonna say the French group Parodies, P A R A D I S, from like ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Hemisphere. I love. I love that sound too. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. The Love Unlimited Orchestra. We're not getting much of that recently. You're right. No, you're not. 
Which Kim Petras album do you listen to? <laughs> uh-huh. You know, sl- um, Kim Petras is more about the precursor to sex. You know, if you're in the club, <laughs> right. you're getting right. there. Uh, it's a little, it's a little too camp um, to hear. Um, Slut right. pop or fuck me like a slut while you're actually in the moment, you know? <laughs> right. Like, Once we've actually gotten to the fucking like a slut, I don't need to actually put the message out there anymore. Right, right. Then you don't need it anymore, right? Uh, I say, I mostly, I mostly say the weekend because, you know, like there's bass and he sort of has this feel of something that feels like it should be a sex record, but you have to ignore the lyrics. Um, yeah. Usually, usually he's mad about the whole process. <laughs> That's tough. You got it. You do got to kind of tune that out. I do think. Yeah, I do. I agree that I think like older weekend is maybe the closest thing we have to like that very white, that modern day very white thing. Anyway, I'm trying to be that. I want to be that guy. Oh well, thank you so much for being here and for this album and also bringing up Barry White I feel like it was last I we talk about so much shit on this show so I can never remember what it was but I truly feel like last year Lewis and I were talking about a deep deep cuts of Barry White because I feel like in popular culture especially when we were growing up Barry White was sort of you know the deep voiced joke and like this is a romantic song and there were like two songs that people know in pop culture but like if you visit his deep cuts they're not just romantic songs, but they're like funk-like club songs that you would want to turn on to. His version of Slut Pop. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, yeah. The maestro, the maestro goes deep, man. Yeah, he was he was an incredible artist. Yeah. His catalog is crazy. <laughs> One of the best producers ever, too, in music. The sounds that he got from the drums and the bass and guitar. I mean, he was a real innovator. It was incredible stuff. He doesn't definitely doesn't get the credit in that in that area that he deserves. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, the album is on repeat. I so love it. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ira. Thanks, Lewis. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. 
This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. So we have both seen Mean Girls, the movie, based on the musical, based on the movie, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> based also on the book uh, Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman. Yes. Yes. Uh, which I remember reading. I'm sure it taught you all you need to know about being a bitch. I, I'm sure you needed a big old primer or primer, whatever the word is. <laughs> When I was working at Barnes and Noble, it it was there, and I picked it up. And for some reason, I did not know it was a um, a guide to mothers on how to help their daughters navigate <laughs> oh. um, high school. Um, but uh, but speaking of the new movie, what do you think of it? Well, I'll say this: going into it, I expected a retread, you know, like I know that there are songs in it. I wasn't that familiar with the uh, musical other than the song World Burn, which I've heard performed before, which is the main uh, Regina George song. Uh, and I know Renee Rapp as both a uh, a powerful singer and also a zany interviewee. Uh, off the chain. She, she'll say anything. It's confusing. She's, brassy. She's so off the chain. It's confusing. Um, but uh, anyway, I will say this. Um, for me, it's a thumbs up for a movie. I don't think the songs are good. Like I don't, I don't have any of them in my head afterwards. I don't remember them. However, they're bad. Yeah, not good songs. Uh, confusing. The jokes in the movie. I got a little sick of them being reiterated from the first one. Obviously, they felt indebted to the original script, which is filled with all these lines that have stuck in popular culture over the years. You know the. It's October 3rd, um, all of Regina George's lines, etc. But for the most part, Tina Fey punched up her previous dialogue. And man, is it just good to hear that voice again. Um, as I was mm -hmm. saying with Angowry Rice last week, once upon a time, Tina Fey would write something and then it would be on TV immediately. And then you would see it and be laughing at it with everybody you knew. And like, that's just not the world we live in right now. She actually is doing now a TV show version of the old 1981 Alan Alda movie that he wrote and directed called The Four Seasons that's turning into a TV show wait. and she'll be starring in it. I'm so excited for that. It's such a good movie. Uh, one of the best marital fights ever uh, in a movie between Alan Alda and Carol Burnett. Uh, Sandy Dennis, my favorite actress, plays a scream of a character. Uh, she's a boring wife who gets who is divorced, and her her main hobby is drawing vegetables. So funny. Anyway, if you want to pair that with another film about a couple going on a trip and meeting another couple, and you know, there's sort of um, wacky hijinks going on. I just watched Bitter Moon for the first time, and man, that oh, never movie seen is something. Um, Polanski, um, we love him, uh, but <laughs> it is. Oh yeah. What he stands for, who he is, yeah. where he is. Yeah. Uh it's it's a wild fucking horny and movie that is also about, you know, like kinks and things like that, but it's really quite good and weird. So um that's recommended. Pair that with the four seasons. Um, I will say this about the casting in this movie. Surprisingly, I did not find myself comparing this cast to the original. And I I don't know why that is. Um, like, I thought Renee Rapp was different enough from Rachel McAdams and Mean Girls that their performances didn't even overlap to me, even though they're saying a lot of the same things. Like, even if you just compare the ways they both say, get in, loser, they don't remind me of each other. I feel like we're talking about two different movies. Um, 
in terms of new casting, I thought the triumph was Avantika, who plays Karen, the Amanda Seyfried role from the original. First mm-hmm. of all, it was nothing like the way she played it. Second of all, it was so in your face, um, confused, daffy, harebrained, and yet funny when it came to singing the songs in a featured character actress way that I thought it just stood on its own, belonged lovely. And, and she, she just a pleasure to watch. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm, I'm just going to be frank. Yeah. Who cast Aaron Samuels? It's tough. I don't know what happened there it's a, it's, because he wasn't bringing it on any level. And there was no charisma there. Um, and he just sort of, he's a cute boy, but he sort of looks like one of the, he looks sort of like Bill Skarsgård's son, you know? It is is not giving the Aaron Samuels that you know you're going to have, and I could see Ngauri Rice's character falling for Aaron Samuels. It was very weird that Renee Rapp's character is obsessed with this boy, you know. Um, and I also kept waiting for okay, maybe he has a song, maybe there's a reason why Aaron Samuels even exists in this movie, but it wasn't just the casting. Aaron Samuels is sort of a non-factor in this movie. Completely. Right. And also, like, like Jonathan Bennett in the original movie, there is a, like, dream boy quality to him. And he's not giving you... Like, he, he's not never quite giving Katie the time of day. And so there is this, like, aspirational quality to wanting to be with him. Whereas this character felt utterly approachable. Yes. And he liked her immediately, sort of, from the jump. And even though he's supposed to be stupid... He doesn't seem very stupid in this movie, whereas Aaron Sam, Jonathan Bennett played him with a sort of sweet, good-naturedness, but he was also an idiot, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, you could believe that he sort of was dialing it in in, in terms of his schoolwork or whatever. Um, I enjoyed Ali'i Cravalho as, uh, of, of course, of Moana fame, as uh, Janice in this movie. Now, I'll say this. Lizzie Kaplan added a verve to the character that I think was maybe slightly missing here. That said, I also believed the the queerness of this character a little bit more with her. Mm-hmm. Well, it, the, the, Janice's queerness was more hinted at in yeah. the original. And I will also say that the main problem with this Mean Girls, I think everyone has sort of said this online, It you could take the word mean out of the title. This movie has no bite to it, to be honest. It's just, it's perfectly it nice is, it and It is pleasant. not quite mean enough. Y- yes, right, right, right. Um, no, and I don't even know how wh- how that happened. Maybe it's just because there's more time singing, so it just seems less mean. I have no idea. Well, I feel like some of the jokes were tampered down a bit and made to be a little bit nicer. And people keep saying that this is a reflection of Gen Z, but... Let me tell you something. G- Gen Z is full of cunts. Have you not seen them online? <laughs> they are, right. they, they, are the- they are rude as fuck. And they have the time. Yes. Like, oh, is your day not ruined yet? Well, let's dig in. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think you can be mean and nasty uh, in a movie like this. Because, they're first of all, they're quoting the original Mean Girls all the time, which is a mean and nasty movie. In some parts, I I did believe Renee Rapp as a as as a nasty mean girl. That said, another relationship I didn't understand was the person, the, the Lacey Chabert character, the toaster strudel, mm. whatever. I didn't see how she would be friends with Renee Rapp. Yeah, she's she sort of was just there as well. Um, the plastics didn't feel as unified, to be honest. But I will also say that getting back to Renee, I said it before, uh, just. 
I would describe her as brassy. You know, I love. Yeah. I really enjoy that goofy song, "Not My Fault," that she made with Megan The Stallion. So good, love it. It's in the closing I, credits of this movie. I, yes, I don't know if they became friends before or if she sort of, you know, sort of like really loves Megan and maybe modeled herself after her. But let me tell you, the most mesmerizing thing in this movie is just watching Renee Rapp walk through a hallway. Just she's she's got sort of like like a stallion-esque like build to herself like she looks very she looks very much like megan the stallion she's so captivating she walks with such a presence um i i just i love her so much and she has a great fucking voice too so i like it's it's nice seeing this version of her it's nice seeing her on um in other roles, and it's nice seeing her in interviews. She just feels like an all-around sort of fun person. And people responding to her Watch What Happens Live interview where she jokes about being ageist, it's fucking funny. Get a life if you hate it, uh, because if you hate it and you're constantly whining about it, you're going to be one of those people who results in her becoming media trained and not being funny Mm. in interviews anymore. So, like, shut the fuck up. We want Mm, celebrities to be funny and entertaining. We don't want them sitting there saying everything boring that's going to make people like them on social media. Yeah, I have to actually say I agree with that. The ageism quote was also just pretty funny. It was so random. Like, wh- where are you <laughs> yes. coming from on this? I was, I was, I was pretty bowled over by the um, verve of it. That said, okay, I got into a fight with a friend recently about this, and I'll be honest, I thought mm. we were all on the same page. We were talking about whether the original Clueless or the original Mean Girls is funnier, and I thought as adults we had concluded that the original Clueless is not only flawless entertainment, I would describe it as the Madonna of comedy movies, which is to say there is a fuck you fabulousness to it, a take it or leave it. The characters are extremely witty. They're also a little devious. They're also, they're just fucking real. Like, I I don't know, not contrived in any way. And Mean Girls, of course, is very funny. There's some jokes there, but it's playing within the archetypes of a high school movie the way most high school movies do. So I find it a mm-hmm. little more replaceable than what Clueless brings. I'm here to say definitively, Clueless is a four-star entertainment and Mean Girls is a three-star entertainment. Ira, what do you think? Oh, all right. Well, both of them have five <laughs> stars on my letterbox. Okay. Five stars. Whoa, what is this? Premier Magazine? Ugh, I hate the five-star scale. Can we fight about this, too? Can we, what, does, what does four and a half stars to four stars mean? There's no differentiation there. The four-star scale has enough increments that each specific level has meaning. This is important to me, and Letterboxd has lost me this way. I need them to reach out to me. Uh, I was talking to a boy at a party recently who did tell me that I'm a little generous with my stars. But uh, <laughs> um, I will say that that is a hard question because if you're saying that this is that's Madonna, I would say that um, Mean Girls is a Britney blackout, you know, because because I think that they're both <laughs> okay great in different ways. Because and when you ask me also, hmm. which is the better movie? Clueless is the better movie. Yes, which okay, one okay. I may be laughing at more minute to minute is Mean Girls. Which is not to say that Clueless isn't funnier and sort of better and just sort of like with the characters and the way that it's presented. But Mean Girls does have more minute-to-minute jokes in it, so I'm constantly laughing at it. I think a lot of the beauty of Clueless is it actually has a bit more um, heart and emotion than Mean Girls that works in it. But 
in those scenes, you don't necessarily need to be cracking up, you know? Okay, I, I, I kind of concur on that. It's more not. romantic than Mean Girls. And I think a romance is a lot different than a straight-up um, balls-to-walls comedy. I think the inspired nature of the story of Clueless also makes it funnier, though. Like, for me, the original Mean Girls, and my friend Marin Fluker just said this, and I'm basically cribbing her right now, the happy ending of Mean Girls is a little unearned. And it feels like the ending to any movie. Whereas I feel like mm-hmm. every step of Clueless is not contrived. I know this is a different conversation than what is funnier moment to moment. But I think that nature of I don't know what's coming next in Clueless still makes it funnier. Like Cher even talking about um, Elton and saying he just wants things to be beautiful. <laughs> like her like yeah. weird observations about people are so like built in brilliant character writing. And I think that is something Mean Girls lacks. Even though it has really fun characters, really funny characters, I'm not seeing something elevated beyond that. Well, I knew where it was going because I've read Emma Lewis. <laughs> oh, God. Pick up a book. I was just wondering if we could toast Jane Austen more in this society. Jesus Christ, not a name we hear fucking 50 times a year still. <laughs> you know what's very funny? Um, Brandon Taylor uh, put a. Um, Put up, put up a, a picture he had taken of a new edition, I believe, of Pride and Prejudice. And in the back of it, it has quotes from other authors at the time uh, and how much they hated the book or didn't like Jane Austen's writing. Like Charlotte, oh, that's Charlotte so funny. Bronte is in the back <laughs> of a quote being like, I don't know what's going on with her writing. <laughs> My sisters and I fucking hate it. And one of them's dead already. <laughs> <laughs> uh which which is which is fun i love i by the way that's every once in a while on jeopardy they will literally have um categories about writers shading each other just go ahead and look up that goodreads or that brainy quote or whatever writers t- calling each other full of shit or whatever a constant blast uh-huh. oscar wilde and walt whitman and all those people just sounding off good time yeah i mean who who did langston hughes like <laughs> oh, that would be fun to look up. Is he like yeah. Wendelin Brooks? I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, the movie is perfectly fine. It's not great. It's not really good, but I enjoyed it. I am disappointed that I saw it at a screening at 4 p.m. Um, in the middle of the day at um, the Paramount screening room because I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more if I were um, drunk and saw it um, with a rowdy crowd in a theater. Mm. One element from the original that I think is better in this version than the last version, and I can't say that about many parts of this movie, Tim Meadows. I thought he got harder laughs yes. this time than last time. And it's so good to see him. What a what a, a, a venerable comic actor. Yeah, uh, he is. he's very funny. In this, uh, John Hamm could have been funnier. I, John Hamm's always funny, but I feel like a lot of the jokes about the gym teacher, when you take out the whole Trang Pak this of it all, um, there's really nothing else going on with the gym teacher, so it's not as funny. Um, that Reginald joke really got me, and also the iCarly theme song. Jack Cloud Spivey was um, oh. very funny in it, which is I did not bring him great. up. He is fabulous. Yes, yes, as the new Damien. Yeah. Yes. He was also in A Strange Loop on Broadway. And while I did not think that that performance was as um, captivating to me as when I saw Larry Owens in it off-Broadway, 
he was fantastic in Mean Girls. So um, a, a really, a really fun um, and exciting cast too. So I give it a sideways, <laughs> the rare sideways thumb um, that you know um, Siskel and Ebert and then Roper later um, would give on the show. I, it has to be a sideways because I don't really want to give it a thumbs down. I really don't want to give it a thumbs up either. I want to be clear that there is a Sesame Street sketch where they talk about sideways thumbs and it's very amusing. Uh, you forget how much they permeated pop culture that they would be on fucking Sesame Street. But anyway. Can I tell you that I recently discovered that there used to be a controversy online about the fact that Elmo was eating up Sesame Street uh, and was oh, taking I, I'm, away I'm time from the anti- beloved characters? I am anti-Elmo, bitch. I do not want to hear his whorish laughter. I do not want to hear... I do not, with his bug eyes, I don't want to see it. Grover has the comedy chops. Grover, baby, Grover has the vulnerability. Grover is a terrible waiter, and we love him for it. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Grover fan. I don't know if I brought it up on the show, but I had... Tickle a, me less. I do not want it. I did, never wanted the Tickle Me Elmo as a kid. I had a Grover doll since i was Duh. as young as i can remember and i truly kept that thing up through high school and then i gave it to my niece when she was a kid and she tore it apart um but um i had that i had that grover doll restitched several times as a kid um he was missing an eye and everything but grover will always be um my favorite sesame street character the way he's constantly embarrassed. Oh, I am so embarrassed. It's um, like, come on, Bob Newhart. Come on, uh, dry comics of your. You know who Elmo is? Leah Michelle. <laughs> no, don't say that. You were doing so well, and then you called him Leah Michelle. <laughs> no, Elmo? He, he is the funniest girl. He is the funniest girl. That I will say. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Elmo, keep it to Elmo. Fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> Don't look at me. Let's go learn your numbers. Also, feuding with a rock. It was sad. Talk to your therapist about he, that. He's a sad girl. <laughs> when we're back, keep it. All right, we're back with our favorite. I just want to say, I I would stand Prairie Dawn before I stand that motherfucker. Okay, moving on. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> she at least knows where All she's right, from, we- the Prairie. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right, we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, mm-hmm. uh-huh. what's your Keep It today? You know what's interesting? I thought my keep it was going to be slightly different before I began this. I originally was going to say keep it to the new Ariana Grande single, Yes And, which didn't do anything Mm. for me the first time I heard it. Likely for you to do. (laughs) To me, this is a song that needs a particular place to be successful in, and I can think Mm -hmm. of two. Heard it in my car, good driving music. A house beat, Mm -hmm. um, you know, keeps me trucking along as I'm going down Santa Monica Boulevard, whatever. Also, group fitness classes. It's very soul cycle, mm. the, the nature of this song. And that's an okay single. That's something that belongs. We, you know, uh, music belongs certain places, and this is where that belongs. Where she lost me was in the video for Yes And, which is a tribute to Paula Abdul's Cold Hearted video, which, of course, is mm-hmm. itself a tribute to All That Jazz, uh, the Bob Fosse movie from 1979. 
if you're going to do a tribute to a Paula Abdul video, I don't know. Could you dance? Uh, could you? <laughs> Paula Abdul, the thing about her was, obviously she had really popular singles. Uh, all those songs endured to me. I think they're all great. But Paula Abdul really was uh, a throwback dancer type, like a Sid Charisse, old school Hollywood person who really loved to like get out in front of an audience and tap and I mean, there's no other word for it, jive. She is a jiver when she is on stage. And that energy is very essential to what the cold-hearted video is and why it's such a good video directed by uh, David Fincher. Mm -hmm. In this video, Ariana Grande is truly leaning and sort of being tossed around and walking. I just don't know why you would toast this particular video if um, that's what you're going to do. Just, I don't really... I, I I don't expect dancing from her, but then don't do the tribute to the dance video because I don't know why mm -hmm. we picked this one. Yeah. Um, honestly, she could have done the um, Opposites Attract video because she's already dating MC Scat Cat. So <laughs> I don't see why we had to do the Cold Hearted video uh, because right. that, is, yeah. Yeah, that is... You, you are, you, you're not even better than Naya Rivera doing it on Glee which was a right. hot number. Precisely, precisely. No, it's it just, it, it's confusing to me. I do love like throwbacks to old music videos just because I feel like more and more of them are being lost to time. And if mm -hmm. you don't see, like the if you don't hear the song on Drag Race, for example, I don't even know the conduit through which like a Gen Z person would end up seeing these videos or hearing these songs, even though they're chronically available on YouTube, of course. I actually want to say to the YouTube thing, one, we should fix that algorithm. I, I hate the YouTube algorithm now. I feel It's a little bit like the Spotify algorithm in that I used to think Spotify playlists were so good. They would give me new songs that were in the vein of what I sort of wanted to listen to if you pick just a playlist off of one song. But now it's, the algorithm is growing smarter. You know, they're like raptors. Mm. They can open doors now because the Spotify <laughs> algorithm just gives you songs you're already listening to. Yeah, right. I don't get anything new in them anymore. And I feel like YouTube does that too. YouTube should have an option where they are. If you are if you are faggots at an after party or pregame and you're watching videos, it should be offering you classic videos like Cold Hearted Snake or classic live performances from the 80s, mm. 90s, 2000s instead of just giving me another Tovlo and Jesse Ware video. Like, come on, yeah. where is mm. the variety? YouTube is not doing enough to educate the masses. Um, I do want to say, and, by the way, that I, I was undereducated about how good Tuve Lu's videos are. That's a good mm. uh, 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 YouTube yeah. K-hole to go down. Yeah, Tuve Lu. As how it should be pronounced, you know. As a chimney loop would say it, yes. Period. Right. Uh, <laughs> second thing, I brought up Naya Rivera doing Cold Hearted Snake on Glee, and I'm now thinking about how weird it is that two Big Sean exes have done tributes to a Paula Abdul video. The same one. Uh, and who's the other one? Naya Rivera and Ariana Grande. Oh, I see. You do you link them up. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Maybe he's at maybe he's like at home putting on vibology. That maybe that's his bedroom music. For us, another tribute to Cold Hearted that I think people should listen to, Cat Graham of Vampire Diaries fame did a uh, cover of Cold Hearted Snake that I love. Baby, baby, Cat, I'm a Graham Cracker. Okay, <laughs> put your graffiti on me. Was a song yeah, for the I ages. I love that song. Love that yes. song. Yes. 
I love Cat Graham. I saw her perform um, Put Your Graffiti on Me at the Abbey one time. Uh, Where it belongs. <laughs> a, a place I will graffiti myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once upon a time, I saw Charlie XCX and Kim Petras perform there. So Cat Graham could go on to having um, gays talk about how she's the best thing ever, um, e- even without topping the charts, you know? So, okay. I, potential promise. We love it. Ira, what yeah. is your keep it this week? My keep it this week goes to Monica Garcia on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Now, Monica Garcia was a new cast member this season. Uh, she was a former cohort of Jen Shah, who is currently in prison. Uh, she's also a person who testified against Jen Shah to the feds and then worked her way onto this show. Later come to find out that she was running an Instagram account called Reality Von Teese, where she was trying to take down Jen Shah, but also just posting gossip and rumors and baseless things um, about the other women of the cast for years. And that was discovered not by her exposing it herself. Um, basically, her lies just didn't add up. And Heather Gay, one of the cast members of the show, did some investigating and then exposed her in the season finale of um, this season. And... Shout out to Heather Gay for doing that and producing a great episode of television. Um, There are a lot of gays online who are in love with Monica. I think she was great this season. I thought she was a very fun villain. But at the end of the day, she did not contribute to why that finale was great. She was basically just lying to the women all season, and she only got interesting television out of it because she was exposed. And so Mm. I don't know why we're obsessed with the idea that Monica needs to be on the show next season. She's revealed herself to be extremely corny. She did a photo shoot after the reality Von Teese expose, which was kind of funny. But after that, she's one of these people who is constantly tweeting, constantly posting screenshots of texts that she has with people. It's just sort of like, girl, you're doing too much. And at the reunion this week, um, she brought a burn book to the show, which has more gossip about the women. And it's like, first of all, grow the fuck up. And two, you're doing free promo for Mean Girls, the movie. Like, I know yeah, you didn't no, get a check for that. It came out this week. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know you didn't get a check for that, girl. Okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do also want to give a brief keep it to Andy Cohen, mm-hmm. who... Keep um, read, read read a tweet of mine on in the reunion, which set off a little bit of a bomb at the end of the first part of the reunion. But I know that he is locked into those cue cards um, and uh, just sort of reads them out loud. But he said, Ira Madison 3 tweeted. <laughs> and I just want to say, girl, why are you reading my handle? You know who I am. <laughs> Ira Madison 3. <laughs> That's giving Dear Evan Hansen, Ben Platt, who played Dear, he gave everything. <laughs> um, but that was a fun treat. And he had recorded that reunion, I believe, around the time that he did our show. So he had that he had the knowledge that he had called me Ira Madison 3 in his brain already. I don't know if anybody in the history of time with an I-I-I after their name has ever been called three. Unless you're like Henry three and like and you're reading the Shakespeare first folio or something. Yeah, or like one of Elon Musk's kids. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, but there's like unpronounceable symbols in those. So that it's not even the same thing. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, great season of TV, though. And my position is that The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is sort of like a Desperate Housewives. You have the four core women and a bunch of crazy people who pop up each season and either torment them or add some flavor to the show. Uh, but you don't need to keep, you know, the psycho going forever, okay? We saw what happened on Melrose Place when that happened, okay? Monica Garcia mm. will just end up being like Eve, dressed in a cheerleader costume, running around trying to blow people up and poison them. And I don't really need that. Also, she's broke. She was, they, they were in the Bahamas and she was paying for um, a purse with a chime card, okay? I don't watch the Real Housewives franchise to see broke, relatable people, okay? I have to say, aspiration does seem to be the key ingredient of this show. Even if they're yeah. gossipy assholes or whatever, you do have to aspire to something about them. Okay, I, I'm not watching to see you fly Frontier, okay? I'm in the Delta Lounge. <laughs> not this year. Not this year because the, 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 strike, the strike sort of took away um, my diamond status and I'm back down to gold. Um, it's been a very trying time for me. Lou. Oh, sure. But uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I used Maybe my last Maybe the boss is right for you. Uh, <laughs> Dusty Child doesn't even perform that song anymore, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to get on the bus. <sighs> anyway, I had to use a certificate to get down to Miami, where I am currently, by the way. Uh, if everyone's and you're, you're dressed the part. If, if the people, yeah. Yeah, I, I realize that only the people watching Keep It on YouTube will know that I'm not where I usually am in New York. So, um, mi gente latino. Uh, as it were, uh, or way pop. Oh, you sound, you know, you sound like my favorite Latin woman who is Madonna. Mm. And by that, I mean, she sure isn't. Uh, yo tiendo means I get it. <laughs> Spanish lesson over here. Yeah. <laughs> Spanish lesson. Oh, yes. One of my good favorite callback. goofy songs of hers. She, you know what? She is underrated in the in the goofy department when it comes to music. There's always like a "What the fuck were you thinking?" song on here. That's usually a little funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's our show this week. Thank you to Mayor Hawthorne for being our guest this week. Um, off of our conversation, respond in the YouTube comments to what music you fuck to. Yeah, it is a good question. Also, it's yeah. like, I mean, I think I think a good answer is I hate fucking the music sometimes, but like other people religiously insist on it. So I need to hear from those people. Yeah, we all know that you're like Isabel Huppert in the bedroom. Silence. No talking. Yes. Popcorn. No yeah. drink. <laughs> Certainly no snack. <laughs> Certainly no snack. <laughs> and there's vague French happening and a woman staring out of a window crying. <laughs> <laughs> the piano lesson is a lot like what goes out of my bedroom. Just know that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will see you next week, as always, with more Keep It. Don't forget to follow Crooked Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. 
Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our producer is Chris Lord, and our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, Louis Vertel, and Kendra James. Our digital team is Megan Patzel, Claudia Shang, and Rachel Gajewski. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to Matt DeGroote, David Tolles, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support every week. sucks i'm sorry be a shame if he killed himself (laughs) younger people love elmo because he was pushed on them right and he's screaming oh i like the thing that i can't fucking get out of my ears because it's screaming picture you're at a brothel and (laughs) the loudest madam will not stop laughing and you're and she's smoking you know just that like gross energy that is elmo you know, you know, kids don't love kids don't love Oscar or the Count that much anymore because they're barely on the show. Those are characters. Yes, Oscar point of view. The Count autism. <laughs> 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 <laughs>